Sunday was a great, great day in uh, life of our church. We are starting to see people coming back from uh, the COVID surge. We're also seeing a lot of guests. We may be seeing more guests attending PCBC right now than those who have yet to return from COVID, which is kind of an interesting but refreshing thing. I had a lot of people join on Sunday. There seems to be a new momentum coming as the surge seems to be declining in Oklahoma, and I hope people are starting to enjoy better weather until tomorrow, and I'm just thankful it's on Thursday and not Sunday, that hopefully by Sunday we're back to another great day so we can be digging into the Word. But uh, we have not done a Discover PCBC class in two years. Believe it or not, that is our class that we offer for people who are visiting the church, want to know more about who we are, what we believe and what we do as a church and so we are kicking that off we will uh, start our next one after two-year hiatus on march the second so that'll be a wednesday night i'll be having bob or josh teaching for me on that night and i'll be hosting them uh, that particular wednesday and then we'll be doing those about every four to six weeks as often as we can so if you know somebody who's been uh, attending or off and on or maybe they visited with you during covid you might want to call them up and say, hey, we're going to be doing our Discover PCBC class on Wednesday night. They get a free meal. Uh, they have to register so we know they're coming. They can get their free meal from 5 to 6. I'll meet with them from 6 to 7 and hopefully answer any questions they have. That has been very instrumental in helping us to engage new members and help people make a decision about what God's doing in their life as far as church membership. Then uh, Josh McClellan is kind of filling in as an interim for us right now. And guys, my app is not uh, wanting to click over. So you may have to run it, sorry. We go to the next slide. I'll play with it again here in a minute. On Wednesday nights, we're going to be working on a new strategy. We've been doing the picture ponder uh, pray or ponder picture pray. And we're going to do that through spring break. Uh, during the spring break week, we are off that Wednesday. Then when we come back on March 23rd, uh, we're going to have a different strategy called Anchored. And it's only for a six-week series. For six weeks, instead of meeting in here, we'll have dinner. And then at 6 o'clock, you'll go out to a class that you pick. Josh is working on six to seven different classes uh, kind of what we used to do on Sunday nights, but what we're finding after COVID is that a lot of people aren't necessarily wanting to come back on Sunday nights. Uh, they're getting ready for school. They're getting ready for work. They've kind of gotten that custom. And we have the opportunity to bring the whole family on campus midweek and try to help people grow uh, on those Wednesday night Bible studies. So instead of doing that collectively here around tables, we're going to have classes you can sign up for. Uh, Josh should have those lined up in the next week or so. We'll be advertising it in the bulletin. There'll be sign-up tables with curriculum that you can look at. It'll be related to stage-of-life issues, might be related to a certain doctrine or a book of the Bible or something related to uh, living a Christian faith in this kind of culture. So he's calling it anchored, anchoring our faith, making sure that we understand the constant, never-changing truth in an ever-changing culture. And so it'll be a great six-week series. That's March 23rd, the last two Wednesdays of March, the entire four Wednesday nights, and I may have said Sunday, Wednesdays, the last two Wednesdays of March, the complete four Wednesdays in April. So you'll be hearing more about that in the week to come. Then in the month of May, we will continue Wednesday nights, and the four Wednesday nights of May 
we're going to break up and have women's group and men's ministry for four weeks. So we're kind of doing some unique ways of encouraging sp people spiritually. Uh, in the month of May, the women's ministry will be viewing the videos from the women's conference, our women's retreat down at Falls Creek. That's being sold as a digital package, and Laureland has purchased that for our women's ministry. So the women will be going through that, and the men will meet uh, with me, Bob, and Josh, and we'll be going through a men's Bible study in the month of May. So those are some unique kind of nuances to where we're going on Wednesdays. What I want you to do before we dig into Ephesians, I'm going to throw you a little bit of a new curveball that relates to what we've been doing around our tables. And next slide is just one thing. I want you to take just a moment to kind of prime the pump, and I want you to go around your table, and each one of you share one thing God has either done this week in your life or one thing he has taught you, all right? So quickly, take turns, one thing that God has shown you this week or God has done on your behalf. Let's brag on Jesus. You've got about eight minutes. Go. All right. Hopefully everybody had a chance to share at least one thing that the Lord's been doing. If you didn't get to, you'll be able to tag team on the next part. Now, as we've been working on Wednesday nights together through the book of Ephesians, uh, one, we want to learn what God's word has to say to us, but also we're trying to learn how to really let God's word speak to our heart. And so we're taking some principles from the Bible study called One-on-One -on -one with God. Uh, you're not actually doing One-on-One -on -one with God. There's a whole Bible study to that. But the principles are three-pointed, teaching people how to get deeper in God's Word through three Ps. Can anybody remember what the first P is? Here's your clue. Ponder. So when we're pondering, and Justin, it looks like it's back to stalling out, man. I'm sorry. All right, so we have the picture here of the magnifying glass when we're pondering instead of reading through the bible and uh saying hey i read a chapter today or i read three chapters today well that can be a good thing depending on how much time you're spending there if you just read three chapters but you don't absorb the word if you don't let the word of god get into your heart if you're not digging in you don't get the gold nuggets and so the pondering piece challenges us to slow down to make sure that we investigate why did God give us that verse, those verses, that word, that phrase? What did he want us to see? Uh, the language of scripture is very, very exhaustive in God trying to reveal to you uh, the supernatural in a natural context. We are natural, we are finite, and he is infinite. How do you absorb infinite truth as a finite person? Well, the revelation of God's Word through the power of the Holy Spirit helps us to see things we've never seen before. And so we will take time. We've been doing two verses at a time, stopping, pondering. And after we highlight and circle key words, look at key associations, kind of play private eye and try to solve the crime scene, what, was, what are the clues God was giving me in these verses? We then move to the next phase. And the next phase is... Uh, taking what we have pondered, if you go to the next slide, we find the little boy here imagining or picturing uh, this truth. All right, so it's ponder and then picture, slowing down enough to say, okay, in this truth that I've just seen, anchoring that in the form of some kind of picture. Now, when you think of a picture, you think of one dimension, you think of literally taking a picture or a painted canvas, and sometimes that works. A lot of times that works when we're 
looking at different things. I'm going to give you a verse out of Isaiah in a little while. And it's a perfect picture that you can picture visually in your mind. Not all of the truths that you'll see as you ponder translate into a physical picture that you see with your eyes or in your mind. A second way it might be just God speaking that truth as if he was sitting across from the table tonight. And he says, Bill, this is my will for your life. And you think about it as a conversation from Jesus to your heart. A third way to picture is literally it's just a to-do list or it's a three-point list of things that I need to be committed to doing this week in my life. It's a point of application. So there are three ways that we can picture. Then once we've pondered, we've dug into that, and we've pictured that truth, that picture then translates into a holy dialogue, and that's when we go to the next slide, which is uh, praying, praying that picture back to the Lord. Um, It allows you to dialogue with God. God has downloaded that truth. That's God speaking to you. Then you're responding to what God has spoken into your life. And so those are the three P's that we're going through. So it's time to investigate. That would be the next slide. And we're going to dig in. If you have your Bibles, turn to Ephesians chapter 3, verses 16 and 17. Ephesians 3, 16 and 17. Paul was praying for them that God would do this in their life. And and as we study this, it's good to see the things Paul was praying about. We can look at that and we can see the facts. Oh, wow, this is interesting. Here's how Paul was praying for the Ephesians. But I would submit to you, if Paul was praying for this for the believers at Ephesus, is it not what we should be praying for our own lives and what we should be praying for our brothers and sisters? Would it not be wise for us to learn from the prayer life of Paul as we ponder this and learn how to literally pray for each other. Uh, What you'll find here is his prayer list looks a little different than our prayer list. And again, I've told you, I'm not against praying for those who are sick. When I'm sick, you better be praying for me. Know that when you're sick, I'm praying for you. And, And Paul did pray for those who were sick. But notice that Paul also prayed in the spiritual realm. He prayed for them, not just in the things of this physical realm, but you'll find Paul actually elevating his prayer life to pray for what I'd call deeper eternal things. So here he is praying. He says, I pray that God would grant you, according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with power through his spirit in the inner man. Now we studied that two weeks ago for the most part, uh, but I wanted to give context and really tonight start by focusing in and pondering on verse 17. That you would be strengthened in the power through his spirit in the inner man so that Christ would dwell in your hearts through faith. And that you being rooted and grounded in love. Now that thought's going to carry over into verses 18 and 19. But take some time personally. Don't talk about it at your table yet. I'm going to give you about four minutes. And I want you to put the magnifying glass on it. And see what God is speaking through Paul from verses 16 into verse 17 especially. Ready, set, go. You'll look up on the screen for a little bit. I'll give you just a little bit of example, and you guys have already done that around your table. I'm not saying I hit everything, but some key things that jumped out to me, and I did this on computer today, so it isn't in my handwritten notes, but I I circled the word dwell. Uh, That's uh, an important word. He's praying a specific thing, and so I want to look and stop and ponder, what does that word dwell mean? So I'm going to look at that here in a minute with you. I circled rooted and grounded. Those three words were some key words that just jumped out at first to me. 
as I looked at the relationship of dwell, he talks about that Christ would dwell where? In our heads, uh, in our actions, but he says where? In our hearts. And so I've got that underlined and that connection is, is made for me there. It just kind of jumps out at me. And, and that happens through faith, uh, an active faith, an engaged faith. Without walking in faith, Christ isn't enabled to dwell in my hearts. He may live in me, but I'm not allowing him to dwell in my heart. And we'll come back and talk about what that means in a minute. And then being rooted and grounded in what? In love. So those things, you see how when you mark things up and you draw those associations, things start to pop off the page more than just a bunch of black letters on white pages, all right? So let's jump in on a couple of those things. And... Uh, Let's see if we'll get there. You're going to have to hit it, Justin. Sorry, I'd only do it one time. Next slide. All right. So what I'm giving you here is a snapshot of a tool that I have that allows you to understand what's going on in the Hebrew in this case, uh, or I'm sorry, in the Greek. This, we're in Ephesians. I was thinking about 1 Chronicles 4 from Sunday morning. This shows you some Greek context. Uh, you can click on any one of these words and it will pop up, which I'm about to do. I'm going to show you what the word dwell looks like in the original Greek. The reason I wanted you to see this snapshot is you can see a bunch of check marks, and then you see some other red symbols, like looks kind of like a speaker icon. You see those things flagging there? Whenever you see one of those icons in this particular software, it is representing that there is a verb tense that's very critical to the meaning of that word. It brings greater depth, and that kind of played into the word for blessed that I preached about Sunday morning. If you just look at the Greek word of blessed, it talks about the unique definition of blessed, but when you bring it and you attach it to the original Hebrew, because that, that's in 1 Chronicles 4, it, uh, it, it takes it deeper in meaning to understand a changed life or changed response. You marry the two together and you get better context. So we're going to do that tonight with the word dwell you can see i have that circled and you see it has a check mark by it that check mark is a unique symbol for a specific greek tense we're going to look at in a minute and then i boxed in next to it where does christ dwell in our hearts so let's unpack those two things go to the next slide please justin let's look at the word dwell all right when you click on that word dwell it goes to the greek you can see the fancy little greek word if you really want to act spiritual around somebody and try to pronounce one of those greek words you can do that. That isn't helping anybody, but at least know what it is anchored in. It is a legitimate Greek word, and that Greek word, it has some breakdown, but notice what it says. This word meant and conveyed in that time when Paul was using it, it was a word they used when it meant to settle down in a permanent residence. As you know, there was kind of a nomadic uh, world that many of them lived in that day where they roamed uh, throughout the wilderness, so they roamed to different places. Uh, but this means to anchor in, to actually settle down into your own permanent residence. So what Paul is reminding the Ephesians is this. Listen, Jesus isn't just the Lord of heaven, and he is. He isn't just sitting on his throne, which he is. But at the very same time, that same Jesus who came to this earth, died on a cross, was buried in a tomb, and rose again three days later to rule and reign from heaven, that same Jesus dwells where? In your heart. He didn't say just my heart. He just didn't say in your heart. 
we are the permanent residents of a holy God. And I'm afraid that many people have been preached Jesus crucified for their salvation, but they've not come to understand Jesus in their sanctification. That Jesus dwells, and we are a holy temple. And I've watched people get more upset about what somebody has done in this temple. They brought in a cup of coffee. They wore a hat. They, and we get all bent out of shape about something that happened in here. And praise God, we had a disco ball hanging in here, and you all didn't get upset. Man, I love the fact that you're a grace people. But I've watched that over years. People get so protective about this being some kind of special holy place, and yet during the rest of the week, they live like, what do we call it, H-E double toothpicks? Is that what your parents taught you the word? We allow that to go on, and this is the dwelling place, and we should treat this with respect and reverence. This is where we worship God. This is a sanctuary, yes, but more so this. We are the dwelling place of a holy God. Now, I shared this verse. If you have some time, uh, real quick, turn to your Bibles. This isn't a part of Ephesians, but I'd love for you to see uh, this verse and then tie it in a little bit. And I'm stretching it some, but it was a powerful verse in Isaiah 35. In verse 8, I wish we had time to ponder all this and dig into the context, but uh, I, again, had not seen this verse. There's a lot of stuff that has started popping to me in my own Bible study as I've learned through one-on-one with God. Instead of reading through the Bible, I probably would have read through Isaiah, and some of the stuff that was there might be so overwhelming and might even be perceived as boring, or I don't get all that, and we lull ourselves to sleep and say, I read a chapter but maybe missed a truth. How many times have I read Ephesians and it talks about the stewardship of grace and I've never talked about it in my entire ministry? I've never thought about grace as a stewardship issue in my life. I just saw it as I was saved by grace. So all these things are starting to jump out. Well, look at verse 8. A highway will be there, a roadway, and it will be called the highway of holiness. You ever seen that term, the highway of holiness? You ever heard a preacher preach about the highway of holiness? Almost sounds... uh, Uh, like some kind of slang term but it's right there in scripture this highway of holiness and the unclean will not travel on it and Isaiah was prophesying about the different paths that we take that there is a highway of holiness that we are called to and there are many who will not take it and Jesus called it this way the path that is wide that highway he said leads to destruction most people are on that one but the highway of holiness few find it all right and so i just wanted you to see that verse i think it relates back to this temple what we see paul going back as we look at ephesians three sixteen and 17 he reminds them you are that holy highway you're that holy temple uh, that is his permanent residence now now that you're saved he isn't just on his throne which he is but he also is dwelling in your heart i don't know if that blows you away but it should all right so let's go to the next slide We looked at the word dwell. I'm sorry, keep that one dwell there for just a minute. Uh, Look at the very bottom that is a notation about the two different words that combine to make this word. It means to live in a home. And then this literal meaning of down, he points out, he is already in us. Therefore, Paul's thoughts must be that he feels at home in our heart. The Greek aortis tense, which was that check mark, okay, That Greek tense speaks of finality, completeness. It isn't something that ebbs and flows. 
he was speaking to them and saying, this is something God has done, and it is a permanent dwelling. He is to dwell in our hearts, not just on Sunday mornings, not just when we're on a mountaintop, but that Greek tense of that word literally means that that is to be a completed, permanent situation. So I used to remind teenagers when I was teaching them about dating, when you think that you want to maybe date like the world dates and maybe you want to go outside the city limits, remind yourself that Jesus is in the driver's seat right there with you. Remember, when you're tempted to go into a certain party or into a certain environment, we have a tendency to put Jesus on a throne in heaven, disconnect from that Jesus during the week, do our things, and then try to reconnect with that Jesus on his throne on Sunday morning. But Paul's reminding them that is looking at it all wrong. Yes, he is on his throne. Yes, he is sovereign over all things. But he dwells in your heart. You are his permanent address. You want to know where Jesus lives? Yes, he lives in the portals of heaven on his throne, but he also lives right here. This is his address. Are you with me? That changes a lot of things. It may change some conversations I have. It may change some of my agenda in the course of a day, and it should change the way I look at things, the way I respond to things, the way that I live my life, all right? So let's go to in your heart, in your heart, okay? If we go to the next slide, uh, you'll see the word for heart, maybe? Justin, next slide, please, thank you. Dwell with me, brother, dwell with me, all right? Yeah, uh, kick him out of the booth. Come on, Tommy. All right, here it is, the word for heart. Now, notice that Greek word, cardia. Dr. Myers, help us with this. Sound like anything you've ever studied in your medicine? Cardiac, Cardiac right? The, and what does that deal with? Don't point to a person, all right? Don't, don't go there. It speaks of the heart condition, right? Well, now, don't get messed up because this is going to point out, this isn't speaking of your blood-pumping organ. Jesus doesn't live in that thing. If he did, we would have choked him out a long time ago, most of us, right? McDonald's would have won that battle. Uh, it's not talking about your blood-pumping organ. It's talking about the center of our being. Now, watch this where we find the capacity for moral preference. And I love this statement, the second paragraph down. It is the desire producer. Think about that for a moment. This word that Christ dwells in our heart, don't think about the blood pumper. It's talking about your desire producer. Now think about this, before Christ. Before Christ, what did we desire? Anything and everything but Jesus. Anything and everything but what was holy. We desired that which pleased our flesh. Our heart, our empty heart, our dead heart, we were spiritually dead. The core of our being was spiritually dead through sin, and we desired everything but God. But Paul's reminding them when Christ came to dwell inside of us, now that holy God who lives in us now changes, gives us what 2 Corinthians 5 tell us that we receive a new heart. And with that new heart, now I am a new person, a new creature. The old life has passed away. My old heart is gone, and I have this new heart. What does my new heart desire? Now this desire producer is a holy desire producer. That's why Scripture says, pray, and God will give you the desires of your heart. We can see in Romans 1, a heart that is bankrupt and empty a heart that does not have a holy God dwelling in them, what does that heart desire? Unnatural things. 
uh, it desires evil things. Uh, and you can get in Romans 1, it talks about how that went into all kinds of perversion. Why? Why was their heart desire for the perverse things? Because it was a dead heart. Paul's reminding them here, though, that Christ dwells in our hearts through faith. And so as we dig in on that, we find that he gives us new heart, new desires, and that is what makes all the difference in our life. Now, it goes on in Ephesians uh, verse 17, and he talks about that they would be rooted and grounded in love. Let's look at the next slide. Rooted and grounded. Now, if you'd gone back to that other, he, I don't want you to go there, Justin, but you remember we had all the Greek tenses? When you click on the Greek tense, it looks like one of those audio symbols, a speaker symbol. That speaks of the Greek perfect tense. And what that means is that this is an ongoing result. It is an, a, a result that changes, a lingering effect, an ongoing force of effectual action. It is a standing, ongoing condition. And so what Paul was teaching them is that you don't just occasionally love. You don't just love those who are lovable. But he says, as Christ dwells in your heart, you are to be rooted and you are to be grounded. That speaks of a foundation in love. And that is a continual, never-ending, ongoing condition. So many times we make that a limited condition. Uh, you love me, I'll love you. You don't love me, well, guess what? You find the wrath of me. No, he said you're to be rooted in this love. It doesn't matter the circumstance. It doesn't matter uh, what you feel in the moment. Aren't you glad that Christ so loved you that he was rooted and he was grounded in that love that when his feelings said, uh, Father, if there's, a way, if there's another way than the cross, let's talk about that. You think there might be a game plan B we could figure out here, Father? But then because he was rooted and grounded, God demonstrated his love for you. And while we were sinners, what did Christ do? He died for us. Okay? That's because that was an ongoing condition. He was rooted and grounded in that love for you and me, and that made all the difference in all of eternity. It wasn't conditional, and it didn't change. And that's what happens as that same Jesus lives in us. So those are just a few of the things that jumped out. I know you shared other things. I want you to go back and look at those two verses again. Find something that you pondered and turn it into a picture. You might turn in the picture of rooted, like a, a tree being rooted into the ground. You might think of a foundation. Maybe you've driven by a, a, a development. They're all around us now, and you're seeing those foundations that are being laid and all the detail of preparing the dirt work and the preparation of that foundation, how critical that is. You might be uh, thinking about a dead spirit and that Christ, or, and maybe now uh, a house that was vacant on your block and a new owner has come in and that which was an eyesore in your neighborhood is now thriving and has been refurbished and re-landscaped and is the beauty of the block. Maybe that's your picture. I don't know what your picture is, but find a picture and take a few moments by yourself. Well, actually, I'm going to have you do it around the table. We've done this long enough. If a couple of you would take turns and just pray your picture out loud. Lord, thank you. This is what mine might sound like. Lord, thank you that this house, this dwelling place that was empty, that was full of sin and was separated from you, God, that you took over ownership. God, that you brought me not just the gift of salvation, but Lord, you saved me. And I am now the dwelling place of you, holy God. 
Thank you, Lord, for what you are doing in my life, in, in, in this dwelling, this person. And God, I pray you would continue to get the glory as I reflect your holiness in this earth. That might be my prayer. What's yours? Bow your heads. A couple of you who feel led to lead out, lead out in a prayer and let somebody listen in to your picture. Would you do that? Ready, set, go. That all God's people said, amen. If you're still praying, you get a chance to do that. We've got about 10 minutes. Uh, we covered two verses tonight. Well done, uh, well studied, and I'd rather go at that pace than read two chapters. I'd rather get two verses and let it speak like that than two whole chapters. So thank you for being here tonight. What I'd like for you to do in the last 10 minutes is to take note of the prayer request on the table. Uh, maybe you want to pray over your Sunday school class, that, uh, your Sunday school members, your brothers and sisters of Christ, that they would let Christ dwell in their hearts. Pray for your church, pray for your staff, pray for your neighbors. Uh, whatever you feel led to pray, if you want to fill out a prayer card, leave those on the table. We'll get those mailed out as well. And then uh, as you're going out, put a hand on a chair. God is moving amongst us. God has given us a new favor. And I'm convinced that ever since we started that prayer time together corporately, it is making a difference in what God is entrusting to us. So don't stop being a chair warrior. Don't stop being a prayer warrior for the Lord. You can pray around your table. You can pray around a chair. You can pray over somebody at your table. And when you're ready, you can make your way home tonight. God bless you. Be safe tomorrow. And we'll see you Sunday with somebody you bring with you. Can I get an amen from the congregation? All right. God bless.